Welcome to Engineering Stories, a podcast presented and produced by Silver Fox and the Institute of Engineering Technology. This week's guest is Darren Martin, a fellow of the IET and Operations Director at Musk Process Services. Amongst other things, Darren sparks an interesting conversation about engineering in SMEs and why they shouldn't be overlooked when looking for a role. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Engineering Stories. Uh, my name is Connor Moringolo. Um, I'm an electronic and communications engineer, um, engineering student from the University of Kent, and will be being a robotic systems engineer for Airbus Defence and Space in September. And this is my co-host, Alex. Hi, I'm Alex. I am a graduate from the University of Bath in electronic and electrical engineering, and I'm currently the head of R&D here at Silver Fox. And with us today, we have Darren. Darren, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Darren Martin. I'm the Ops Director of Musk um, Process Services based out of Peterborough. What is Musk Process Services then? Um, Musk Process Services is a, a group of businesses that was brought together by um, the Edwin James Group, who have a big history on um, basically giving excellent engineering services is that is that strap line but in reality is a lot of like-minded engineers who are really just trying to deliver really good engineering solutions to the wider uh, marketplace uh, as from my personal experience uh, we've been part of the group for nearly three years four years now and i was an owner of a business that got acquired and the the, the piece that really um, liked the, that acquisition was there putting people first and the reason why I wanted to come onto this podcast is the development of people is really core to us and to me personally it's it's that um, that journey through life and engineering has been such a big part of it for me that with Edwin James it's, they want to really share that experience to the wider field so yeah that, that's the ethos of the business mm. as far as what do we do um, in most, most process services, it's really, it sounds a bit cliche, but we generally do from feasibility study to, to delapidation of assets. We specialise in this Peterborough office in asset care. So we make plant more reliable mm-hmm. and we also make it compliant. And when we say compliant, we're talking about the pure regulation. So people don't get hurt while they're doing engineering. So again, you can see a theme here, guys. It's really, <laughs> really consistent with what we want. Um, other facets to the business, we have a, a, a very competent and capable uh, process projects business um, very strong in food and bev lots of breweries lots of uh, petrochem lots of farmer work and then we also have a peak automations which is uh, software again industrial software plc SCADAs, operating systems etc um, and really moving into apm which is augmented uh, style realities for maintenance so proper predictive maintenance stuff which is again really interesting and innovative and uh, hopefully attractive to young engineers too to mm-hmm. not just bending pipes connecting cables etc etc which is obviously the historic m e route mm. yeah that sounds, that so, sounds really interesting you mentioned how musk process services is a bunch of companies with like-minded engineers is there a specific area that you feel that is a strong is the strongest at Musk Process Services that you feel is the keystone to the company? Um, I think you, you go back to the company's values. Um, if There isn't a specific discipline because there's such a broad discipline in there, mm-hmm. but the company principles are putting uh, safety people service. By putting the people first, uh, everybody says, uh, 
put your people first, it sounds very cliche, but ultimately, in, in, certainly in, in asset care, we have a, a lot of our people, in fact, all of our engineers are client facing. So it doesn't matter what you say in a presentation or what you deliver in a proposal, it's all down to how those people interact with the customer on site and they all have direct interactions. So putting the, the people first, suiting their needs, making sure they've got clear uh, PDPs, so development, that, that can't help but, but through osmosis sort of leach into our customers. Mm. They, they see that in the way the service are giving, that, that in turn gives you great results, great results, you then can invest back in the business. So, and that is common throughout our, our, our businesses. The fact is, by putting our people first, it then um, makes the client feel really good about what we're trying to achieve. Mm. They want to be involved with that and it just self-perpetuating really. And that's, yeah. that's the real key one. We have... Um, we we very we're very much aligned with the IET out of asset care um, process projects historically because of the process nature have been um, IKME um, so again affiliates of those and again up in peak they're also affiliated with the IET too so there's there is a real cross cross out there that I make key piece as well again and I know we're it's an IET sponsored podcast but the fact is it's a really is a is a uh, and obviously the IET is the best obviously <laughs> yeah. Other institutions are available. <laughs> this is not the BBC, is it? So we don't need to be balanced. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm sure, as I'm sure we'll get it move on to. I, mean, I was affiliated with the IET since I was uh, um, 16. So I think, you know, the 10 years I've been in the, the, the uh, Institute, <laughs> slightly longer than that, obviously, will be, uh, um, yeah, I'm going to be relatively biased. So what's your day-to-day job like at Musk Process Services? It's a really good question. And in fact, my CEO might listen to this. Uh, everything. <laughs> he does bit... everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously the linchpin of everything that yeah. we do. Um, no, I think to be, to be fair, and certainly obviously the, the, uh, I've only really taken the complete reins of the asset care business since of March last year. Great timing. Again, as we said before, something happened in the world. So it's been a, uh, quite a difficult year. Um, so I think steering us through that piece has been massive um, and having a great team around us, really. So just making sure that te- team have got a real clear focus on what we're trying to deliver um, and really keeping um, keeping the focus on what, what's really important to us. And if in doubt, go back to people, safety service. And, you know, if, if it hits those three, then, yeah, let's drive, let's go for it. How many people would you say that you manage and how do you cope with that level of leadership? That's a, that's a really good question again. It sounds like a politician while he's thinking about the answer. I think, the, the, <laughs> and, cause, and the only reason I'm hesitating is because of it depends on the moment in time. The moment as as March hit last year, as you can imagine, it, it, um, the unknown driving through it. And I think that's actually as an engineer and, and managing a bunch of managing engineers along with their associated services, you get into problem solving mode. So actually, um, like-minded people in those situations has been great. I think um, what we tend to do as a business every year, we have a, a, like a, a good, as a lot of businesses, we have a year at a good old strategy meeting where we roll, roll out a big piece of paper and say, right, what we're trying to achieve in this given year, going to our core principles, Money is obviously always at the top of that, but in reality, there's, there's certain uh, 
things that have to happen and making sure that everybody knows the at sum of everybody's individual efforts equals the overall goal. This podcast is produced by the IET and Silver Fox. Silver Fox manufacture and supply cable, wire and pipe labels for a variety of sectors around the world, including rail, data, power and more. They manufacture all their products here in the UK and ship globally, either direct or via their ever-growing network of distributors. For all of your labelling needs, contact sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on plus 44 01707 373727. In, in your um, education, um, can you tell us a bit more on how you actually got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, it's like a self-help group. I'll start lying down on my couch now and we can <laughs> start to get your notebook out. We'll be good. Uh, no, I'm, I'm as again, I, I am dyslexic. I didn't realize I was yeah. until my um, late 30s. Um, when I went to school in the eight, early 80s, um, I was in the top set for uh, both English, maths and uh, sciences, yet my academic results didn't follow suit much to at the time perception by teachers tutors etc that is the guy just lazy or, or you know mm. that, that sort of see me attitude you know that if you picture the scene of um it's not quite uh, victorian guys so we can go away from that there's not slates and uh, chalk <laughs> out but but equally the handing the book around the class and everybody reads a paragraph that was absolutely my vision of dread you know you know to be a dribbling wreck in a corner thinking about having to read out loud i mean we talk about a podcast being an hour shutting me up for under an hour and a half is going to be the challenge for you guys so there's no issue with it but this massive barrier around that piece for me uh, i'm not quite sure again if this then deludes into a piece of imposter syndrome where you, you'd never think you're quite good enough to do the role mm. but what i have got and what what's driven me uh, and you get back onto the education slant is when I've seen a challenge, I'm driven to to achieve that goal. Um, so if you think about how the dyslexic mind works, it's how it engineers its way round to get to a problem, to a position where if you were reading it left to right, I'd go left, middle, back, forward, in between. But mm. you get to the problem as quickly as if you were reading it. Uh, so from an educational perspective, that's why university for me was never an option. Mm. I, I, I couldn't wait to get out of school. Um, sat lots of O-levels, didn't pass that many, effectively. Mm. Um, but then spent the next, well, life learning, to be honest, but in reality, the next five years at um, um, Grantham College of Further Education and at North Lincolnshire College of Further Education and then various, various other bits and pieces. And what I did by that stage, I found serious numbers of, of um, coping mechanisms to deal with what I had. Um, mm -hmm. Not that they were offered, you weren't given any more extra time, yeah. uh, yellow isotopes over words or anything like this. It's just that my own brain found ways of getting me through that. So I, I kind of called the halter HND um, via um, fair and foul means, to be brutally honest. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I got to a position with my academia where, but that's what worked for me. Yeah, yeah. no, I, yeah. I'm dyslexic myself. Um, I, I only got... Um, I only got told that in my like after my GCSEs, and obviously when you're sat, I completely relate to your uh, English feeling 
when you're sat yeah. trying to read something and you're panicking on can I even remotely read these words <laughs> um I I know I do I do relate and that does relate to a, a book that you're writing if I'm correct yeah I say writing and whether it's going to be sat, sat when I've hung my screwdrivers up and actually just write my memoirs down I should say at this point then Connor and you'll get this because we can self-mock it's obviously be an audio book right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can, yeah I can 100% see that who's going to read it though <laughs> again it'll be an audiobook real good <laughs> well, uh, what is it about can you tell us a bit about it no i think i think it's a little bit to be fair it, it's the anecdotal piece about how an apprentice electrician who had the opportunity of three apprenticeships decided to go down a contracting route um rather than going into a specific industry um then has really achieved what I've achieved, I guess, to be honest, and, and the challenges that were posed and faced along the way and how I got over those. And, and, you know, the, and the real reason around that is to show people that it can be done. Mm. It's not, this is not Definitely. being all, all Richard Branson about it, but that's the reality. The fact is, if you've got the drive, the drive and the desire, um, it can happen. Just, mm. yeah. I've, I've got a, a daughter who's, who isn't dyslexic, who's going through university doing an engineering degree now, and she's smashing it. So this is not mm. a, a university is the wrong thing to do. It, just, it would never be right for me. No. It just would never be right for me. You, you've already said that university wasn't for you. Is there, is there any, any parallel universe where Darren Martin goes to university? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I think um, the wide expanse of experiences uh, mm. and knowledge that I've collected due to being contracting rather than a specific place have been really, really vast. And, and to be fair, I've, I've met some life friends through that process. Not that I wouldn't in an organisation of a size or a scale. So before, you know, it's, it's one of the, you know, the obvious questions is don't go down a too fine a channel too early. Mm. Just You don't know what you're good at until you've tried some stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So going through, sampling all those different industries early on and equally being five foot nothing and wearing 10 stone, wielding a lump hammer by first fixing a house. I knew it wasn't going to be me. I needed to get out of this this piece. Was I needed to improve myself somewhat that I could uh, really find another field to work into. And I think that contract contracting world really gave me that diversity to actually I understood where I, where I want to go with and what I want to do, you know, and where I want to take my, my base electrical knowledge to start with and then more into managerial leadership. And I still do a lot of process work now, actually. So there's certain customers that as much that uh, my business would love me to drop. You know, I really enjoy still talking about engineering. You know, yeah. it's uh, unfortunate my wife tells me off because my, so my youngest daughter is, is following an engineering route. You know, you walk into a shopping center or something, you're walking around and, you know, the, the vogue around taking down the suspended ceiling and you'll be staring at cable trays and pipes. And, and my daughter's doing this. So she's looking up. So it's... Uh, <laughs> which it makes a change from young us young people looking down. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, I think from uh, uh, going into the contracting world and then, I th and then the wider, when I started to get more, uh, had more influence into um, the business and what it did, um, and reading, yes, believe it or not, reading more and more about actually um, the amount of engineers in SME businesses um, 
it equates to it was 80 percent with that number still correct yet all you read if you're not careful within the it is how well bae are doing so could you explain to our audience like what sme stands for and why do you think sme and professional registration why is it so important so SME, small to medium enterprise mm-hmm. businesses, equate for 80% of the engineering resource that the UK industry has. And when you look at um, BAE loses 1,000 jobs at X or creates 1,000 jobs, there is probably a supply chain of another 5,000 engineers that are supporting mm-hmm. those industries. Mm-hmm. And um, from, from my standpoint, I had a really good mentor at my very first uh, college at Grantham who... I joined the IWIE as, as what I was affiliated with Early Doors for its, all its incarnations to the IET now, where um, you felt part of a bigger business. So there was probably two of us in the small business I was in, but actually you're part of this much wider community that has shared experience within the BAE scenario. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, P.S. I'm not slating my things. <laughs> I mean, I do a fantastic product. But there is a, a massive uh, voice of engineer that just isn't being heard mm. and actually if those businesses the larger businesses are trying to deliver on um, world leading projects they need a world leading supply chain and therefore they need world leading engineers within that supply chain mm. who mm. are businesses of 50 60 70 150 like us or 300 whatever to support them so professional registration supporting those sort of industries only strengthens UK manufacturing uh, uh, as a whole, in my view, in my opinion. I was wondering what you think about um, students that are looking for a job right now during a pandemic, etc. Do you think that you should go for the like the supply chain, the people that are working for them as well, as in, as you said, that they are the main, they are like such an important factor? Obviously, yes. <laughs> I think because I think there's a massive piece of unless student life has changed, you've not knowing what you've not you don't know until you try it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I think through physical uh, example, I've got a friend of ours, son was touted by several F1 teams to look at some engineering, and actually went took a placement a very small business, looking at a, at a piece for um, a Mondelez. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Mm-hmm. Again, supply chain to a big organisation. He never thought he'd get such fulfilment mm. because they're not so well known. So mm. I hate to answer a question with a question. <laughs> what do we need to do as SMEs to attract students into our, our industry? Yeah, that's a really good question. For um, we in university, obviously, we are um, shown to aim high, and that in in the university's mindset is big companies, well-known brands, etc. And that obviously works well for the university and for the student as well. Um, and that's obviously why um, I, I loved Airbus and that's why I went for them. It was like a win-win for me as I liked their engineering and, and the job was just fantastic. But for students that I would say, if you want to attract SME, um, uh, like people want to go for SMEs, I would say more maybe more publicity on it because i feel that when a big company puts throws out an advertisement i feel that a lot of people are obviously going to see it because they're well known so it's very easy for students and all to apply because well obviously they um 
they're on the big websites they're on all the different things and i think personally there should be a website or even get on for example grad cracker or something like graduate opportunities are crazy um third year engineering i think alex can vouch for me here your third year everyone's looking for a job and everyone is searching and in reality yeah. it's all about where where you're looking because i for example for myself i found airbus on grad cracker and um i looked at my internships there and i looked at my graduate when i was waiting for airbus to reply i was looking at grad jobs i was doing all those things and the smaller companies i find don't tend to use the big websites i don't know whether that's down to a um requirements from the website or whether you have to be a big brand or whatever but i do think that there's a lack of representation i think that like linkedin is probably the best um place to find them um, smes and all for jobs for students but i don't feel like students actually use linkedin to find jobs ironically <laughs> they're more for connections and stuff like that whereas we use the big websites yeah. and we find them via the big and the big companies are obviously always on the big websites so if there was something or if there was a way to publicize sme businesses that would be really beneficial to yeah. the students as well i i think yeah following up on connor's point i think it's it's tough as well because i remember leaving university and everyone wants to move to london and obviously most engineering firms big or small aren't in london and so that that's really tough as well because your engineers, engineering companies specifically aren't where people want necessarily want to be. Mm. What do you think universities could do, Darren, um, to try and encourage people to go to SMEs in engineering? I can be I can be idealistic about this and say right, the IET should do more. We're a, um, an enterprise part of the IET, so we're, we're only a small voice, but actually collectively we're a bigger voice. But I, I think you're right. I think there's a massive piece of PR that needs to go on associated with um, you know, this, this statistic around the engineering function. So if, um, if we threw up the companies that we work for, you'd go, well, actually, mm. that's still quite exciting, right? Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. and I think... I think that's maybe the, there's a big PR piece because as I've, as I've shared with you previously, my daughter's gone through the same process. She had um, an offer, a, a potential placement offer that was with a business relatively small. Yeah, a larger name has come along and she's taken a larger name. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I'm seeing it firsthand. So it would be hypocritical of me to go, no, daughter, you don't want to do that. You want to go for work for this business um, is wrong. But I, I think that needs to be a more holistic approach and maybe with some guidance from the IT and you persuade that they've actually got to actually make sure. I have no idea, as, as you say, whether it attracts students, as you say, the deans of faculties or whatever look inside universities are, are incentivized slash seeing big names on a, on a um, we've put placements at these businesses and therefore it attracts future students. Because let's be honest, it's a, it is a money and a numbers game. Um, yeah. But actually, if you put the uh, our our clients, our customers, our partners on that board and not just Musk, we put XYZ on that mm. on that board. Um, yeah, you go, do you know what? I'm not just working for one big company here. I'm working for 20. Yeah. yeah? And yeah. they're all leaders in their field. Yeah. yeah? And actually what you're doing is, because what a lot, the, the, the partnerships we have with our customers are the real, real strong ones as well. They realize what we, where we add the value. They're very good at making what they're good at. Mm. Yeah. 
the engineering piece yeah. is sometimes superfluous to the end product, especially in food and bev, where they're really good at making world-class products effectively, efficiently, safely, etc. But actually, the engineering mm. behind it, they're quite happy to partner up with a business that can deliver those level of skills. All of a sudden, you're putting some yeah. absolutely uh, household names on a branding board in a faculty, on a, on a placement site, on an internship site, or whatever, saying, do you want to work with these customers? And it's, you know, it's that sort of analogy is, is how I would adopt it. Yeah. So I, I think a real big piece of PR is the way to go yeah. with it and to get that mind shift. Yeah, I think you're right with with the holistic approach because, I mean, there's, there's, there's also the other thing which will be lingering in the back of students' minds is that if I go to a Nissan or an Airbus, that name's going to be on my CV. And therefore... In future employability situations, you know, that's a name that people will recognise and I don't have to do much explaining about it. But as, uh, just to counter that, just so in the real world, of, um, I see a CV with just one industry or one company in it and I, I see limited experience. If I see mm. a CV with, not jumping jobs every two years, but if I see a CV that has shown some development in role and moving from industry to industry, but equal opposite, somebody who's been in contracting world or a uh, the manufacturing piece actually has serviced different industries. That that gives far more uh, kudos as far as I'm concerned when I'm sifting CVs. Uh, just to uh, kind of double back on uh, apprenticeships, you said how, um, like for you, it was most certainly not, uh, university was not for you. However, your daughter, um, she went to university. Would you, in, if you were kind of, talk as you're talking to this audience as well do you recommend pursuing the pr apprenticeship over the university or do you think it's more of a case-by-case -case basis i definitely think it's more of a case-by-case -case mm -hmm. basis um my other daughter has gone through the other routes uh, not in engineering but another field and uh, and she's she's equally prospering in her field so i think mm. from my own personal experience and what i've seen in, in the wider world uh, wider world it's definitely case-by-case Effective. We've got people who come from university into our business, thriving. We've mm. got people who have come through our ranks, thriving. And in, and actually what we're doing is they're, they're doing their master's um, yeah. in the business. So uh, so I, I think it absolutely is case by case. So I think the key to it is um, I knew what I wanted to do. So I was relatively, which, which I appreciate is not always the case. Mm. I think it's understanding the person, understanding the person's needs, making sure those needs are aligned to the business. Um, and then you can you can take take a view on what what it looks like really to be honest. Uh, would you say that um, apprenticeships when you did them and apprenticeships today are different? Would you say that there is a? Uh, do you think they've improved? Do you think they could be done better? What, what's your opinion? I think uh, my perception is that apprenticeships um, were uh, were trying to be rushed through from a time perspective so actually there was a lot more um, rigor historically but what I would say is the really good apprentices now um, it's down to how much effort that the, the business that they are working for they're tied to gives them so I think the, there's a, a massive amount of of how good an apprenticeship scheme is now it is on the business to really embrace it and um, make sure that the apprentice is supported and given all the right opportunities through their apprenticeship. 
Um, we're not perfect. We've had a number of people that failed or not particularly flourished in their apprenticeships, because, but it's our fault. We have not given them the experiences they need. So I think it's being having the apprenticeship scheme that's mindful and open enough to do that. Whereas historically, um, ECITB style, um, or CITB as it was, uh, style apprenticeship where apprentices would go off to a training school, block release, relatively expensive. And actually what you've done as an employer is gone, there you go, CITB, go and train my staff for me. There they can do put conduit, they can wire a panel, they can do X, they can do Y. And they come back and they can do a job. Where you are now is you've got to give them that experience and that time in-house. So otherwise, you're just mm. wasting your money. If you don't don't mm. train the people, don't give them the time, don't give them the chance. And yeah, there's some tough love in there. There's young adults that need to be trained and need to be steered to make the right decisions. Mm. Um, and and first and foremost, you've got to look inwardly and go, have I given them the right experiences, the right knowledge, the right tools, etc., to to make them succeed as apprenticeships. That uh, even now that most of our um, Operational management team is all people that have come through our systems because they're ultimately they're safe, they're knowledgeable, they put their client first, etc., etc. Why? Because we train them properly. Mm. As I said, we're not perfect, but that's I think the real the real crux of an apprenticeship, in, whether it's whether it's better or worse, they're different for sure, Connor. Mm. I think, but the, the absolute crux of it is the investment of time from the employer, the the, the, the business to give them the knowledge they need to succeed in their apprenticeship. Silver Fox proudly supports engineers with all their cable, wire and pipe labelling requirements. The Fox in a Box thermal printer has the ability to print a whole range of thermal labels with one software, one printer and one ribbon, saving loads of time for the engineers out there in the field. For more information, contact sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on plus 44 01707 373727. So what kind of things can you offer the students? So like what um, kind of internships and graduate opportunities do you provide? Um, because as our podcast is obviously listening to students um, everywhere and some industry, maybe it'd be really good for you to kind of tell us what it's like to work at mass process services and kind of tell us what kind of opportunities you offer the students if you if you'd like of course <laughs> yeah sure yeah thanks for putting that spot Connor. i appreciate it no i think i think it's really important that when people are looking at where to go through through internships apprenticeships etc um go go further than skin deep do a bit of research into the business you don't have to go far into our linkedin or our website to see who we work for to then understand the type of exposure you'll then get in your career. The fact that there are large defence contractors, there are large food and bev manufacturers, there are large chemical manufacturers, all sitting in that, that field where actually you will get that uh, that exposure to those world class. And I'm sure you can make, re make rest, uh, reference to those in future resumes, etc. As far as our specific business it goes, the pure diversity of what you're working on, we have clients in the US, in Europe still. Brexit's been a challenge, but we won't talk about that. Um, and let alone literally the length and breadth of the country in, in everything from electrical, mechanical, design, process, software. Um, yeah, across all different industries. So, as I said, I think the real key to anybody, whether it be Musk or any 
part of our wider education James groups or the wider industry is to go a little bit further than skin deep, do some decent research and you'll actually get, and especially for those students that really don't know what they want. Really, you, obviously, Connie, you've talked about the robotics part where you want to go to, etc. Um, that's fine. But I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who don't know what part, they, they like engineering, but what part of engineering. Yeah. Because actually, mm-hmm. you can get such a breadth of uh, engineering skills. We we always have a, an adage, especially with engineering, you know, whether it be a black box or black box, but it's still got shafts, gears, some control system on it, and some data associated with it, regardless of the industry, and it all falls back on the basic principles. So until you know, until you understand what potential opportunities are out there, um, don't choose a particular angle on a blinkered view, but just because it's a big name. Would you recommend... Uh, apprenticeships to SMEs of obviously varying sizes because there's a huge range in order to develop. Absolutely. I don't think any forum I've either been in or seminar I've attended or spoken at where the skills shortage in engineering is not raised on an hourly, if not minute, minutely basis. I've just come off a, an ops call, a weekly piece, and it was mentioned four times in less than an hour. Engineering skills are a rarity, even with the current uh, state of where we are in the pandemic and recovery. That is not going to change. Um, The only way we can break that cycle is by bringing more people into the industry, whether that be through the university route or the apprenticeship route. So, and, and no one way is right, but absolutely creating atmosphere where people want the desire to be in the engineering world, it can't be a bad thing. So in my view, yeah, absolutely. I think it's just ridiculous not to. And, and also for, for what we've created, a, a particular culture uh, where our apprentices, not, not, not many of them do move on. Mm. We've still, as I said, we've had a, a really good track record of them evolving into the management team within the, in the business um, where they're moulded to our business now. They understand our business. And you don't get that through recruitment. You know, we, you can recruit for attitude, which is essential, but ultimately it's no better way of getting somebody who knows your business than somebody who's grown with the mm. business and understands the business. Mm. And, and that is invaluable, really. So, uh, yeah, if, if somebody's asking my opinion about it, should SMEs take on apprenticeships, absolutely. It's, 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 an, it's a no-brainer. So for you, you talk about time a lot and you say about apprenticeships and, um, and there's different, like, you know, growing with the business. How long did it actually take you to feel comfortable where you are today? And for anyone um, that's listening, what's your recommendation? Because obviously you can start a job and you might not like it at first or and you can grow into it. But wait, how long did it take for you to feel comfortable? And what do you have any do you have any tips or recommendations to the listeners about doing that kind of thing? Yeah, and I think, as I alluded to earlier on, I think when I started my apprenticeship, um, a wise head electrician said to me, today you're going to learn what electrician is all about. And as I said, I was handed a bolster and a lump hammer, and I had to chop out some concrete blocks for the day. I'm thinking, well, you you can make a choice, can't you? You you go, this is what you need to do. So there's two things, really. So the individual needs to understand, is this really where I need to be? But ultimately, there's a piece on the employer to go, actually... Um, how are you getting on so a one-to-one process the mentoring scheme coaching through these people through these goals I think is is a massive piece of is it what I want to do luckily in my career and it's a a massive amount of luck into achieving what I've achieved is not not being stagnant 
if you'd have asked me six months ago if I'd like the job I'm currently sat in, I may have given you a completely different answer and saying yes to this podcast. Because there is a, a massive piece of a leap of faith in any role, you know, uh, and having confidence to drive forward is, is, is a massive piece. And having the con- confidence to challenge what you're doing and, and to move away. I, I, me- I remember giving a piece of advice to a, a friend's son who'd started a, an apprenticeship saying, look, give it time. He's now got a very successful career in media. Uh, he's, he's not doing anything to do with engineering anymore because it generally wasn't right for him. Mm. Um, so from a time frame perspective, um, I knew the particular task I was asked on my third week of my apprenticeship. This is not me the rest of my life. It's how long you give yourself to do that change then, Connor, is the real the time frame piece. Mm-hmm. You were talking about food, food and drink, and I think in today's day with covid i was kind of curious of how that's affected the food and drinks industry um but like because obviously with the pandemic there's more safety regulations and obviously you're on about safety so i was just curious um how has it affected it i think if you ask our customers and our clients from an output perspective as a consumer, you won't have seen it mm-hmm. from behind the scenes massively. Um, I think what we had to do, and I think what I'm, I'm, I'm most proud of both of our, our, our client customers, but equally, or more importantly, with my own team, is how we've had to adapt so quickly to new procedures and really being early adopters, whether it be temperatures, whether it be um, testing, uh, social distancing, remote working. Very difficult to remote work and do maintenance on a machine, right? Yeah. Um, so, mm-hmm. well, these machines are still churning out widgets, boxes of breakfast cereal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That, that, so those customers still need servicing. So the, uh, it, it's absolutely been a challenge. But I think the the pride I feel now about how we've achieved that is massive. And it's to be honest, it's one of those sort of cornerstones of you know you've got a really strong team and a strong strategy uh, and a strong set. Of of partners that we work with that you've we can kind of see the end of it although let's be honest uh, you know and again not to politicize this we we, we called it the bonkers boris monday call which whatever was going to sound by was going to come out on a sunday evening that would change how we worked on the monday morning because yeah. ultimately we're working in a shift-based environment where a new edict came out on a on a sunday night and we had to adopt by the monday whatever system that 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 was whether it be our guys sharing vans to go to a site, right? Mm. Something as, as simple as that. But that's then one engineer that doesn't get to site, that doesn't service a customer. Or, you know, the social distancing kind of people in a room. Well, a lot of these control rooms that our clients work on aren't big enough for two, yet they've got a two, two-man operation. So, the, the, you know, all those sort of systems, um, you know, how's it affected is massively. I think um, the uncertainty, I think with all those those industries, I think a lot, most of the businesses that we work for have certainly been more prudent around their capital expenditure. So luckily from our, our business side, the, the asset care, the maintenance and making sure the machinery is safe has carried on, which has been great for us for business continuity. But from a capital perspective, you know, just putting brakes on turmoil because they weren't quite sure what was happening is, has been massive. Um, but from a day-to-day operation, no, I think so. I think it's just a, a testament to the to the strength of knowledge and, and teams within the industry that um, the shelves haven't been empty. And we, we don't deal with toilet rolls. Um, I suggest we invest in paper mills going forward. But uh, no, I think from a food perspective, it's um, 
yeah, I think it's been a, 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 a massive, massive effort to continue to see uh, boxes going out the door. This is, mm. this is a way of payback. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So I th- right, well, I think that brings us nicely to the end. So without uh, any more hesitation, Darren, thank you very much for your time. No problem at all. Hopefully the, the ramblings of a ma- madman won't uh, drive your uh, <laughs> listenership off. <laughs> No, no. I'm expecting at least 150 listeners to, to this episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if if it's not, yeah, we'll yeah. be you'll be hearing from us. You know, that's fine, perfect. Uh, as long as it wasn't because I was boring you, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was really interesting. No, it was great. No, it was really good. 